Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Healthy Perspectives podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's journey, and I hope you enjoy. Thank you for joining me. I always appreciate your time and choosing my podcast to listen to. Uh, Today's topic is, I think I'm going to title it Supreme Leak. (laughs) That uh, it's it's a little bit of a twist on uh, the uh, confidentiality that was breached in the Supreme Court. I want to provide a clinical perspective on it. So that's going to be the attempt. Hopefully in the next 20 minutes or so, uh, we'll we'll get through that and you'll have an understanding of a, a clinical perspective on the topic of confidentiality and secrets and privacy. I want to start by just going ahead and outlining this Supreme Court situation. For those of you who aren't familiar, which is probably not very many of you, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, in the last week or so, we have had a, a leak a Supreme Court document was leaked that had been, uh, it was an opinion of the court that was being moved from judge to judge to judge. Uh, and the, the Supreme Court justices, uh, they have really rigid processes to prevent leaks like this. And somebody that is completely untrustworthy had leaked it to the media. And the media went ahead and put it out. I mean, I would expect nothing less from the media. They, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to filter a, a document like that. There's very few who would be given something like that and would say, you know, we probably shouldn't do this. It's going to have major ramifications that are, are not good for our Supreme Court and could undermine uh, a lot of things in the future that we do as a country. But in this situation, uh, you know, we, we, as I would suspect, did not have a, a media person who had the uh, courage to do the right thing, which would have been to tell that person, you must be out of your mind. And I'm sorry, but that is private information until the opinions are finalized, at which point then, because wh- why would they do that? I mean, they're going to they're going to make millions off of this now, unfortunately. Uh, so whoever that media person is just wrote a massive check for themselves and our, I, I would wish that it wouldn't be this way, but our, uh, our culture will, um, definitely not put them in their place. Uh, and I wish that we would, I wish that we would let them know that that kind of breach of confidentiality should not be tolerated. That being said, the clinical perspective. I want to start by telling you that there are uh, this these these rules, regulations, uh, ethics that I'm going to get, get into here. They apply to written, oral, any type of communication that could give away the identity of an individual. Okay. Number one, HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability Protection Act, or Protection Portability. I don't remember which one it is. Act of 1996. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and I want to read a direct quote from the CDC website because it's it outlines this in it's these this is verbatim what the HIPAA requirements say. And I'm doing this because it's it's a detail that I think you should have. It says, "Quote our." Our expectation is 
that you detect and safeguard against anticipated threats to the security of information. Detect and safeguard against anticipated threats. We have to be proactive according to HIPAA. That means we can't on the backside say, wow, I just didn't know. No, it doesn't work like that. We have to anticipate and protect against the possibility. That means we have to do our diligence. Now, there are new threats that come out all the time. So there are certain things we just cannot protect against because we don't know. It does not say we we have to anticipate every, but we do have to make an effort and show diligence to protecting against anticipated threats. The second thing that it says that I think is worth you hearing, protect against anticipated impermissible uses or disclosures. If any of you have ever read an email from a mental health professional, a doctor's office or whatever, there's a little blurb at the bottom. Some of you have probably seen that. It, It says confidentiality requires me to tell you that blah, blah, blah. And we go on and on and on. We tell you that if you are not the intended person that this email is supposed to get to, it is your responsibility not to forward this or leak this or tell anybody about this because this is protected information. And we, we do that because it does what I just read you. Protects against anticipated impermissible uses or disclosures. It's saying that I am doing my diligence that if I somehow inadvertently sent the information to the wrong person, that they would get rid of it. And many of us will actually say, and please contact me so that I know. <laughs> and we do that because it shows the diligence that we are trying to figure out where we might have made a mistake so that we can fix it and not make the mistake over and over and over and over. The other, the other category I want to I highlight here is this is not just a health insurance you know, portability act. There's FERPA. There's ones for law. FERPA is the Federal Education Rights Portability Act. And that That allows for some movement of academic information, but some of it has to be kept confidential. But here's where it gets really real. I want to tell you, like those are those are both like federal things. When we get to the state level, I looked up the state requirements in the state of Idaho because that's the state in which I live. 53 mentions in chapter 16, which is oversight for my profession. 53 times it mentions confidentiality. 53. So this is absolutely known that confidentiality is a big, big deal. The exceptions to it are things like a duty to warn. If you're a harm to yourself or to somebody else, but I have to document that I did it. If I don't document it, it's a breach of confidentiality. Emergencies like medical issues, some medical issues may require some mental health information. Like we may need to know that they were taking a medication for mental health issues, they had a medical issue, and so on. So there are some exceptions medically. Uh, the least necessary amount of information being passed is the expectation. I will not provide all of the details. I will provide the minimum amount of details necessary to accomplish whatever the mission might be. It covers written 
oral, anything like that. And there's time limits to it. So for instance, if a person comes to see me and I haven't seen them in, you know, uh, uh, say 90 days, I, I don't know. It's either 30 or 90 days. It's, uh, I don't end up in this situation. Uh, so typically, so uh, I, 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 t- I would probably err on the side of 30 days because I honestly don't know right off on the top of my head. But when they have a document that says, we give you permission to disclose information. I have a limitation to the amount of time that I can access that information. I also, if it doesn't explicitly say it, a timeline, I would default to 30 days because I, I, I think it's either 30 or 90 days and I would default to 30 or I would look it up, which I didn't do right now. There are limits after death. So I can't tell everybody, you know, the mental health stuff for so-and-so after they pass away. But there might be some requirements that I disclose that I did see them. Well, those are limitations that allow me to disclose certain kinds of information. I also want to highlight, that was just the state of Idaho, IDAPA chapter 16. 53 mentions and with those very few exceptions. I also want to highlight that American Counseling Association Code of Ethics mentions confidentiality. I believe the document's around 20 pages or thereabouts. Uh, It mentions it 59 times. 59 times it mentions confidentiality. Look, we know that privacy is very important in our culture. The ability to disclose information as we see fit. The autonomy to tell my own story and not have you tell my story. That's privacy. So with all of that information, those I went over a bunch of the uh, legal, ethical stuff, but I want to highlight to you that this is really a secrecy and privacy issue. I want to describe the difference between secrets and privacy as I often do it in a clinical setting. Privacy is information that is between you and me. Secrecy is when your intent is to have me keep something moral quiet. So it would be, for instance, like this. You might have somebody who, uh, or I might experience somebody who sits down and says, hey, can you keep a secret? I'm going to be like, yes, however, and I would stop right there and I would outline the limits to my secret keeping. Because if if it's going to breach one of those moral issues, they deserve to not tell me. They have that choice to not even say it. Always. So I'll outline it. It may seem weird to pause them, but the benefit of that is they know they always have the right to tell me or not tell me. If they're not prepared to deal with the consequences of telling me secret information that may be a mandatory report, then they have the ability to stop right there and not tell me. If they choose not to tell me, then there's nothing for me to report. If they choose to tell me in spite of knowing that I have limits and that it might cross into those limits, then they're making the choice that that be reportable. So let me tell you how I learned this a little bit the hard way. I was a mandatory reporter long before I was a mental health professional. As a mandatory reporter, one of the things that we're we're taught is when we have to make a report. But one of the things we're not taught is when 
we make a report, one of, if not the first thing that is done is that person that gave us the report is interviewed. I learned that the hard way. Early on, I made a, a few mistakes because I didn't know how to manage mandatory reporting. And now I do. And for me, it's really simple now. It's I make sure they are prepared for that interview before they tell me the report. Because if they're not prepared for that interview, it's coming anyway. So why wouldn't I build that client's empowerment up to the point where they are prepared to make the report on their own. And then what I actually do in practice is I put them on the phone and I have them make their own report. I do that because there's an empowerment in that process. When they are prepared and they make their own report, one, it keeps me on the sideline and I can be their supporter. I can walk them through the process. I can teach them what's coming because I, I know now. And the other is when they need me to say, this was way harder than I thought it was going to be. And I can go, well, I know. And that's why I'm here for you. And it re it reestablishes that trust that I'm your person and I can help by just being a sounding board. When this gets, when this struggle gets real, I, I can be here for you. Why? Because you're strong enough to do this on your own. Isn't that a beautiful empowerment process? Of course. So that's what I do. But the difference between privacy and secret is if a person says this is a secret, my, my next question is going to be, what moral issue are you trying to cover up? There's a moral issue in there, most likely, almost every time. You know, can I tell you a secret? I cheated on my spouse. Oh, a moral issue. Can I tell you a secret? I, uh, I, I've been drinking for the last seven days. Moral issue. For that person, that's a moral issue. And do I want to keep moral issues confidential if they go against my own morality. I have to be careful with that. But as a therapist, I always outline where my confidentiality limits are so that they don't accidentally put me in a position where I have to say, keep a secret about somebody who's hurting children. I never, I'm never going to have to do that because I would fail every time. I protect children. It's something that I do. It's something that's that's dear to my heart. I, I don't want kids to be harmed any more than they already are. And trust me, they are harmed more than you know already. They don't need help. So what happens if we breach confidentiality? Well, if we tell people's secrets, one, they put us in that position to a degree right? They brought a moral issue to us. Now, my guess is in the Supreme Court case, they, there was a person who thought it was a moral issue, but it wasn't. It was a legal issue. Now, you can say, well, behind the legal issue is a moral issue, right? That's what they debated 
in the Supreme Court. That's why they were putting together this opinion. But in the process of putting together an opinion, sometimes we say things we don't mean. Sometimes we say things that are not accurate because we haven't done the research. So, so to leak something before it's finished is a breach of confidentiality. It is not the moral issue being dealt with. It created all kinds of moral issues, not the opposite way. They should have had the time to finish their opinion, publish their opinion, and then anybody can write an opinion after the fact. Anybody. This clerk, this justice, whoever it was that leaked it, they could have written their own opinion. Everybody has the right to write their own opinion after the fact. But when they're in this process, it is known to be confidential. It's just like somebody coming to therapy. If somebody comes to therapy, they anticipate confidentiality. If you go into the bathroom, there is an expectation of privacy. Uh, I remember, I don't even remember when this was, but 20 years ago, 25 years ago, some somebody was having a bunch of stuff stolen in a store. And so they they decided to put a camera in the dressing room that went to court, it was obviously deemed un, uh, you know, illegal, unethical, all of those things, because even though that was private property, the expectation in that room was of privacy. So they had to come up with other means to protect their products. The camera in the changing room should never be allowed. The same is true in, in, in clinical world. There are certain breaches just never should happen. The legal world, same thing. The medical world, same thing. That's why we have all of these rules, regulations, HIPAA, FERPA, state of Idaho has 53 mentions just in the chapter that looks over my profession. That's not any of the other professions. The code of ethics, 59 times in one document. We have those because confidentiality and privacy are so important. And what, like I, I was starting to go down the path, what happens if confidentiality is broken? Number one, and I think probably the most critical, and this is probably why there's so many errors of confidentiality these days, is people are not living relationally as much as they should. Trust is lost when we breach confidence. Trust is the core foundational piece of any relationship. If you can't trust me, then our relationship is garbage. Like You don't waste your time hanging out with me. You don't have to like me. You don't have to agree with me. But trust in a relationship is very important. There's lots of people I don't really like. I don't necessarily get along with. But I would trust them. I would trust them because they've given me no reason not to trust them. Do I like their opinions? Do I like the way they do, do certain things? No. But that doesn't mean I can't trust them. The second thing that happens when we breach confidentiality. As a clinician, I could lose my license. Now, that, that hopefully would be an extreme case, right? If, if there's an accidental breach of confidentiality, it doesn't always lead to a license being lost. Depends on what the accident was. But if I'm overtly breaching confidentiality, I lose my license. That's a truth in the profession that I, I work in. The third thing, criminal and civil lawsuits. There can be actual damages 
And part of the process of recovering damages, sometimes if we can't recover the relationship, we recover financially as a way of making up for some of that damage. Uh, truthfully, I don't think you can ever really make up for the damage that's done because the trust is gone. The trust is shot. It's gone. So I'm going to give you a quick summary and then I'll go ahead, go ahead and uh, we'll, we'll end for today. I covered what a little overview of what's going on with the Supreme Court. Then I covered HIPAA, FERPA, state of Idaho. I didn't cover any other state, although they're pretty similar in other states. I covered the code of ethics briefly, but then I spent a little bit of time talking about secrets and privacy because clinically that's the, to me, that's the more important aspect. We can, you all can access the laws, the rules, um, the uh, statutes that govern confidentiality. Y'all can look that up. What's not easily accessible all the time is understanding the difference between privacy and secrets. Secrets often have a moral twist to them that are not healthy. Whereas privacy is, it's not, it may be about a moral issue, but it is not me saying, if this goes against your morals, you got to keep it to yourself. Um, that's a no. That's an absolute no. Okay. And then, um, in doing that, my hope is that you will take a closer look at what you keep secret. We don't need extra drama, especially like if I'm, if I'm working with somebody who's got trauma, they need no extra drama. It's not about secrecy. It's about privacy. When it becomes about secrecy, we're actually increasing drama and we don't want that. Nobody with PTSD needs extra drama. Ask them. They're like, nah. No, thanks. I'm good. Got plenty of my own. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time. Go ahead and leave a comment uh, and let me know what you think. And I will see you next time.